The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Big Daddy Carter. Oh, yeah. Serena <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> so, so the Edge. <laughs> I love it. Serena the Edge Edgerton. Hey, y'all. Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. I'd like. I want to say I put the yeehaw in hee-haw. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It just it sounded good in my head. There is a donkey on hee-haw. Hey, hey, straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. And my wife is here. It's not a holiday, but my wife is in the studio. Yeah. Hello. So glad you're here. Hey, Holly. I'm not the only female today. No. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we don't have no. Billy Kimsey. We don't have Cherry Lewis today. Um, but I do have a joke. You do? Let's mm-hmm. hear it. A bear walks into a bar and says, give me a whiskey and cola. Well, why the big paws? Asked the bartender. The bear shrugged. I'm not sure. I was born with them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might have to break the prices right horn yeah. out for that one. I haven't used it in like a year yeah, and a half. That would be a good one. Absolutely. So we actually had scheduled for today um, for a guest, Chris Lombardi, who was going to be on our show and give his testimony. And uh, Chris Lombardi, uh, I got to know him. I met him at the Berean Bible Church Conference. And then I saw we you guys met him at the Blue Point uh, Church uh, Conference. And uh, he had a pretty severe wreck that caused him a lot of problems, neurological problems, things like that. And um, but then he everything was good, and he sent me a message like everything was great. And then last night I got a message, and he said, "You're never going to believe this. I have laryngitis. I do not even have a voice." So he's uh, uh, he wasn't able to make it. So what I did was today um, our our episode on a listener's request. Uh, whenever Jason Cleveland sent us that letter in regard to marriage and divorce, um, I felt like that we we did a good job, but we really didn't go all the way through what the New Testament actually says in regard to marriage. So this isn't going to be a very long episode. It's just going to be a follow-up. And I wanted to just clarify a few things. One, in that last episode, I, of course, I did my douche canoe and started, you don't, you talk about abuse, well, I don't care. I don't care. What, you know, I... <clears throat> got I all love, pissed I love off. The Rick accent. I love the <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of banjos. I just can't, like, I get upset, like, if I think that a woman, that someone would tell a woman that she has to stay in a relationship if her husband is beating her and say she's a believer and he's not, but he desires to stay in that marriage. And so she takes it to the nth degree, what it says in 1 Corinthians 7 in regard to you know, if a man is not a believer but wants to stay with you, then keep him and sanctify him. But to think that they would allow themselves to be abused and abused and abused and and never think that they could get out of it because they're just trying to follow God's law. Now, if it's if it's following it as a law and it's really not in the heart and it's it, it gets a little weird, 
to me. And I get very passionate because I don't like abuse of any kind. And so if I think somebody's going to stay in a marriage just because that's what they think God wants, I just don't agree that God would want a woman to sit and be beat by a man. I just can't believe that. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if if Paul's context in in Corinthians when he was writing the rest of it, when he mentioned about if you don't want to get married, don't get married. If you want to get married, you know know what that's going to bring you into because of the 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 lead up what was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, the imminency of what was about to happen. The very imminency. I wonder if the 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 imminency of that context was a was what he was applying to that message. The entire Bible is written with that. Yeah. Sense of imminency of what's coming. Yep. It really now, is. Now, you believe it's already come, but I believe that I still have the imminency that it's coming. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we differ on that. But mm-hmm. I, I do believe if you even go back and read Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you feel the imminency of judgment mm-hmm. that's coming. The day of the Lord and the, the day days of, of vengeance. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even... I told you all I've been doing some Second Temple literature research. Even in that, you feel the the 400 silent—we call them silent years. He wasn't silent. No, there was just, a lot of they're books. They're just not in our canon. That's right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, how he was the, the imminency of the day of the Lord. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know about—yeah, I don't think that—I think the Lord loves us, and he wants us to— if we get married, to try to honor that marriage, if possible. Mm-hmm. But I think he loves us enough that he doesn't want somebody to put their hands on us, mm-hmm. male or female, because there are men who are abused. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's, verbally, it goes, me- yeah. physically. I mean, so I, I just, I think we have to do as much as possible to honor God with every action that we can, and sometimes that means getting safely out of a, a marriage that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Well, just like I had to part with some of my family. Mm-hmm. Just because we're blood doesn't mean that I have to allow you to abuse me. Right. And I and I had to I had to put the wall up because mm-hmm. I you know when it started bleeding over into my children, it happening to my children, I was like, "Oh no. Mm-mm. Yeah. We're not doing that." Mm-hmm. No, I'm damaged. But they're not going to be. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes you have to, just because you were given parents or siblings or uncles, aunts who, mm-hmm. abu- who are abusive, I mean, that doesn't mean you have to fellowship with them. And right. I, and I think, I don't know, this is a hard topic, and I've been thinking about it since we did the last one. I just don't know how to to reconcile it. Yeah, one of the things that I, because I went back, like after after doing that, Andy always sends me the thing in advance to listen to, and I, I went through and I listened to it, and I thought, man, I, I missed several points, and so I decided to go back in and read a little bit more, and I did some research, you know, on the internet, you know, from other pastors, things that people have said, and there was something that I that I had forgotten, and. It comes out of the book of Exodus. And uh, if you give me a second, I'll pull up the notes because I wanted to read that. It talks about what happens if a man puts away his wife and what happens, what he has to do for her, what he has to provide for her, right? 
So if you'll go to Exodus 21, verse 10 and 11, listen to what it says. It says, if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So this shows like the care that must be taken in marriage. Do you see what I mean? Like he still has to provide that. So if we can extrapolate that backwards, he was supposed to be providing that for her to begin with, right? Right. So, and this focus is on like food and clothing. And when you look at that word, it's conjugal rights. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. And if he doesn't do it, then that's when the law was permitted to get that certificate of divorce. Like we talked about last time, it protects that woman. That's that's It's kind of unique in that ancient culture. Because like Andy always points out, and is totally right, marriage was a property contract and women were seen as property. But in this case, this is different in ancient culture because God's assuring, okay, yes, it's the hardness of your hearts that he did this to protect the women, which is pretty unique in that time. Do you know what I'm saying? A lot of those laws do seem to be about that. Yeah, and so the neglect of these particular things in the Old Testament constitutes grounds for divorce in their time. So a lot of times I think, well, we talk about it. It's 50 to 60%. That's the divorce rate in America. And we talked about the stats, whatever. I don't care what it is, but it happens, right? It's 100% at my house. (laughs) Man, I don't even know how to calculate my percentages. But truth be told- 0% at your current house. There's not going to be one. She has a gun. So anyway, we have- And we will duel. (laughs) But he's a pacifist. (laughs) He does not have a gun. I am so dead. I'll I'll be able to just hold up my hand and go pew, pew, pew. (laughs) You still shoot better than most stormtroopers on Star Wars. (laughs) Maybe you can cute your way out of it with the finger guns, you know? (laughs) (laughs) If you guys could just see Andy now. She'll like pat you on the head. Be like, oh. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you, Precious. Yep. So bless his heart. Yeah, bless his heart. That is, and for people who don't, who aren't Southern, what does that mean? Bless his heart. It's a, you can insult somebody and then say yes. bless their heart, and that's how you get away with yeah. it. Yeah. You've also heard these really lovely Christians that'll say, "I'll pray for you." Absolutely. <laughs> Which means we're not. <laughs> we're not praying for you <laughs> at all. <laughs> that's funny stuff, man. So, if you take these. This this thing that I just said, that, that list of three, the food, the clothing, and the conjugal. These are the these are showing like what a covenant vow of a marriage was, right? And that's why God wanted to protect her, because those were the basic vows that for the basics of life, you know, and in marriage. So in other words, provision of material support, which is like food, clothing, shelter, the conjugal rights, but also the marital fidelity was was important not to bring this sin upon the land. And remember when this was written, they weren't in the land yet, right? Mm-mm. So this is what was coming. So when they received the land, these were the things, this is how you are supposed to be if you are Israel. So Paul points out later in 1 Corinthians 7, there may be times when abstinence from sexual activity within a marriage would be appropriate, right? You know, it talks about that. So if a, like a woman should not, or a wife should not hold back 
how would I say it? Her goods <laughs> from him, <laughs> from the man, and vice versa. Don't use your body. Don't weaponize your body. And, you know, that's that's something that, that talks, they talk about that in the Bible. There is a, there is a time, perhaps, whenever a wife or a husband needs to say, I, I need to take time away from this because they want to think, they want to go and fast and pray and get, you know, and have some purity in their mind and not have to, you know what I mean? Like, for whatever the reasons after, might be. After birth. Yeah. Particular times of, of the month. Mm-hmm. Different, um, different women things that they deal with. Yes, my time. wife always has a problem with me at my particular time of my months, <laughs> I can promise. <laughs> but if you, you, you make a good point. Th- those are good reasons why, you know, the sexual activity wouldn't happen in a household. Right. But he's saying, like, don't weaponize it, right? I mean, it, it, you know, for the protection of the woman in the natural body, it would be time to abstain from that. Right. And so, if a person decided to not give their husband or their wife that, that would fall under the term neglect. Right. So we Alienation can, of affection is what our government would call beautiful. it. Beautiful. And that beautiful. is, it's almost like a form of abandonment, okay? It really is. So we can extrapolate from that, the negative, from that by saying, if you continue in that pattern, then you are creating neglect, which is a form, it's like a willful and, and intentional refusal to meet the needs of your spouse. Wouldn't, right? that be, wouldn't that be the beginning of the hardening of a heart? Sure. And it... And, Although it's a little radical to say it this way, it's like a form of abuse because that is something that between this marriage that's supposed to be part of their covenant vow, their marital right, but they're not getting it, so they're neglecting it. So, therefore, are those grounds? Well, this man named Pastor Dave on PastorDave.org that I was reading, he said he is a—he does— He sounds legit. His name's Pastor Dave. PastorDave.com was a little bit expensive. <laughs> <Okay>. Leslie <laughs> Smith. Yeah, so, but this is what he says. He says, abuse comes in many forms, physical, emotional, psychological, verbal, financial, social, and spiritual. And it is an effort in using power and position to control another person. It is a direct violation of the commitment to love and cherish your spouse and to provide the sort of physical and emotional affection required of a spouse. And as such, this is in fact grounds for a biblical divorce. He extrapolates it to that point. He says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that a spouse who is abandoned is not enslaved. Hmm. The meaning here parallels the use of the divorce certificate to indicate the freedom of the neglected spouse. They are free to remarry if they so choose. And the language parallels verse 39, where the widow is not bound to her deceased husband, but is free to be married to whom she wishes. Yet Paul also says that a woman who divorces her husband should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. That was in verse 11. So the difference is one of context. The former relationship reveals two believers with no evidence of covenant violations, and the latter reveals an unbelieving spouse who has abandoned his family. The different contexts require different boundaries for remarriage. So when we were in our last episode about this, we talked about how Jesus, remember, Ralph, how we were talking about how Jesus took it back, all the way back to the garden where a man and woman would become one flesh. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus was saying. And then he only used sexual morality. But then Paul builds upon that foundation. And I learned something because of something that Jesus said. I learned a hermeneutic. It's a really interesting hermeneutic. You know how Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said. 
eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say, you've heard that it was said to love your neighbor, but hate thine enemy. But I say, every time that I see that, I'm always like, no, wait, is he reframing the law? Is What's happening here? And what Jesus is doing every single time is he's taking it to God's original intent. But Moses, and I didn't know this, I never knew this about the law. Moses had the freedom to write and establish case law based on what he was enduring from the Israelites as a judge. So he was the mouthpiece of God and he wrote the commandments, he wrote the things that God gave him, but he God gave him the license as a judge to input these laws to govern Israel. And some of those laws that were put in place were based on the hardness of man's heart because sin was real and they still had to deal with it. There is no murder allowed in the garden, but murder happens after the garden. So now this judge has to decide, how am I going to manage this? Right. And so he does. But when Jesus comes... Jesus takes it back to God's original intent. Do you see what I'm saying? So I started realizing, like, wait a minute. At first, I started to distrust the law for a while because I was like, oh, wait a minute. Well, if Moses can put it in it, then you can just put whatever you want. Kind of like the way Andy said it in the last episode. He's like, if that's the case, you can just high five and say, we're married. Hey, all this, let's high five each other, right? So... Moses did the best that he could with what he had, but we also know something about Moses. Number one, he is the one that was selected by God to go and deliver the Israelites out of slavery. Right. He's the one that went before Pharaoh and took his brother Aaron to speak, to tell him to let the people go. He's the one that faced down that evil man. He's the one that led the people out of that place of Egypt and got to the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. I don't know. I've read both. I don't know what it is, but I think it's Sea of Reeds. But And then he takes them through. It's almost like a baptism. He takes them through it, even though they don't, they don't touch any water. Right. right. They walk through on dry space, dry ground. Dry ground. And he gets them there. And then they go right up to the precipice of entering that land. And they send in the spies. And we know the story. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb said, take the land. But the rest were afraid. Right. And so they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. And in that 40 years, Moses is dealing with a bunch of grumbling, complaining, difficult, hardcore, you know, can't get the Egypt out of these people Israelites. To be fair, if you made me walk for 40 years, I'd be pretty hard to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it didn't let me in at the end. Well, the yeah. intention wasn't to walk for 40 years. It was really rather supposed to be a rather short episode. It was supposed to be. Yes. They wouldn't trust they the did two not, spas. They, they just did not believe. what Because he said, God will give them into our hands. They saw giants and they're like, God will give them into our hands. And they did not believe it in fear. Well, they started grumbling immediately. Yeah. They just got on the other side and on the third day, interestingly, it's the third day, they began grumbling well, they were hungry because we you have no food, food. We have nothing so to long. drink. We could have stayed where we were and at least been fed. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't steak. eat, or, if you didn't eat or drink for three days, I guarantee you'd have something to say about it. Yeah, for I sure. have. I have <laughs> definitely. It. I've never done that with like drinking water. It's it's almost the same thing in the feeding of the five thousand with Jesus. 
Yeah. It's the same it's almost the same mentality with the people when they when he feeds all five thousand, then they look at Christ and say, Hey, can you show us a sign that you're the Messiah? Right. And they just got across they, they just <laughs> went through all of those big miracles by Moses with the locusts, the, yeah, the, the ten frogs, plagues. the yeah. ten plagues, going across, saving them, walking across dry ground in the water, and they How about get the to, pillar of fire. And then they stand there and go say, Well, okay, what now? They're like, we need to go back to Egypt. We had leeks. We had onions. We've said, I love that Keith Green song where he says, So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? And then one of the guys go, Eating leeks and onions by the Nile. It makes me wonder because in the New Testament, it writes that Jesus told him, said, You feed them. But the text says, Because he knew what he would do. Yeah. And I wonder if that has a reference going back to Exodus. He knew what he would do because he would leave them. <laughs> leave them right there where they you sit. You feed them. I'm out. Exactly. It's kind of like whenever Jesus is like, yikes, how much longer do I have to put up with this faithless generation? You know, like, oi. So. Oi vey. Oi vey, yeah. So, all right. So now let's let's talk about that hermeneutic where he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say. You've heard that it was said is coming from what Moses has determined in his judgments and what he's learned, and what he's pinned down, and what God has put him through. But we have to remember that Moses didn't make it, did he? Not at all. He, he didn't see it. He just couldn't go he in. He never, he couldn't go into it because of what, you know, what he had done, and God didn't allow him. But he didn't make it. So the idea now is that if you look to the New Testament and you watch carefully, especially in the book of Matthew, if you watch carefully, watch this. So the Christ child is born— he goes into Egypt. Mm -hmm. He comes back out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Then he, later in, in his adult life, he is baptized. God speaks from heaven. He is sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, kind of like a Pharaoh character, right? He's dealing with the temptation. He comes back. He truly begins his ministry and he starts healing. He reads the scriptures. He tells the people in his own hometown, this has been fulfilled in your ears today, and they want to throw him off a cliff. He is constantly showing this Exodus motif oh, man. throughout the entire book of Matthew. And then when you get to the Sermon on the Mount, you have to think about Moses on Sinai because what's going on is that he is now giving this his law, the law of the kingdom. Right. And when you read it, it's completely different and upside down. Right. Not only to Moses, but also to the way that we think he, he's he's unique. Christ is unique. And by following that hermeneutic, I just start, I kept reading through it and I saw something that I never saw before. Because I mentioned it in the last episode, but I really never put it together. And it's his use of the Galilean wedding. He uses the wedding motif in almost all of his parables, or not just all of his parables, but, but a lot of the teachings, you know? Like, he's the bridegroom. You had mentioned that John the Baptist talked about the bridegroom, Sarita. So, Jesus, he acknowledges the way that their custom of weddings were done in his time, and he used that to illustrate how he was going to bring in the kingdom, and who his bride was. So if you think of yourself as the bride, 
as the one that the bridegroom is coming for, the precious one, the one that he seeks after, the one that has his heart. And you think about what that means to you, for him to do that to you, for you. If you use that same mentality when you think about your marriage, then you could also find it in your heart maybe to forgive somebody a little bit farther than you normally would because you were that bride that was stained, that was dirty, that he made and washed white as snow, that he brought into. And then, of course, after the wedding, what happens? The wedding feast. And he's inviting all those to him, right? So all these things he's talking about, weddings, I began to realize that Jesus took it back to the beginning because that's what we meant to him. I never really thought of it that way. That's what we meant to him. God had divorced Israel. It says it, right? You've read it. Malachi, he divorced Israel. But he's married. He sends his son to marry us. That's where, that's where I think that when we focus on just the words that he says in regard to the application to just us and our lives and our marriage, that, that we miss the bigger picture. So think of yourself, husbands. Think about what Paul says, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to love your wife. What does he say? Love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Right? So that is, so Paul's doing the same thing. He's building on that foundation. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? As under the Lord. Now, if we just take that and extrapolate it, if I look at my wife and say, you're going to submit to me, woman, and I'm being a jerk face. Douche <laughs> <laughs> canoe. Pat yeah. Your douche canoe. But, and, and let's just be personal just for a second, babe, because I want people to hear. Would you agree that if I'm loving you like Christ loves the church, that what he's talking about as far as submitting isn't really a hard thing to do, is it? Absolutely. It's not. Yeah. Absolutely It not. absolutely is. I absolutely agree with you. She was like, wait, did I answer that right? I don't think I did. Yeah. <laughs> is her volume okay, Andy? I'm barely hearing her. I can hear. Oh, can you? I absolutely agree with you. Hmm. <laughs> Turn your ears on, husband. Sorry, yeah. yeah. I need to listen better. Submit, no, son. <laughs> but submission in that in that context is to pay close attention to. And something that I've learned in my marriage with Holly is that that if I am focusing on loving her as Christ loved me, if I if I make that effort, if I show her that effort, that she pays so close attention to all of the things that I need and that I think and that I, she is my perfect helpmate. She really is. And I see that now and I'm like, man, you know, if I could tell anybody, like from Jason Cleveland's letter, when, when people get so overly legalistic that they want you to divorce your current wife and leave your kids or whatever, break up your family to go back to your original marriage to try to make that work just so that you can have eternal life, you know, and that is just, that is just a gross misunderstanding to the point where they're trying to be so righteous on their own deeds that they neglect the fact that 
their righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. Because you can do it all you want, but you're never going to achieve it. You'll never achieve the perfection that's required. You will not. Well, you're not going to achieve it anyway. Jesus tells you to be, therefore, perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that is the scale. That is, that's the, what's the word? That's the bar. That's the bar. Thank you. That's the bar that was set. And I remember reading that and thinking, I'm or, I've already lost. You know? But we learn that Christ is our perfection. That the law was brought through Moses, but grace and truth was brought through Jesus Christ. So although he gives you that bar and tells you what the bar of perfection is, he also sets out to accomplish it for you. That's what he did. Well, I think, too, the more we focus on Jesus, the law, the Bible, learning, doing the things that we should do, reading, studying, um, trying to get other people um, to be Christians— um, and the, uh, for the Great Commission, as the more we do that, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. The more that the right things come out of our mouth, because garbage in, garbage out. So whatever you're thinking about all day long, you'll become. So mm-hmm. you know, the, the the more you take the time to study and 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 take care of your wife. I one of the greatest things ever happened to me tonight. Really. Mm-hmm. My wife called and she said, uh, I'm going to stop off and do something real quick and then I'll be home. And just something in the tone of her voice was like, I'm going to be home. It sounded like she was excited. And I said, well, remember, I have my podcast. She said, oh. And she was disappointed. And I'm like, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, you just kind of sound a little disappointed. She goes, well, I am. And I was like, wow. That was that was." She wanted to see you. We've really, the last couple of months, and especially the last several weeks, we have really been thinking about each other and talking to each other and being there for one another. And it's, you know, being intentional with each other. And it's, to hear that was like, oh my gosh, this is is amazing. And so be intentional in your study of Christ. Be intentional in your thoughts and deeds. And it just, it gets easier. And then you see the rewards and the benefits of it. Yeah, I love that. If you, um, you know, in the last episode, we talked about if you commit the act of adultery and then you stay in that relationship, are you committing adultery over and over and over and continuous? And that's what that pastor had said to him. And I started thinking about that too. And I thought, well, what if that was the case? What if you did know it and that was how it was seen? Would that change the way that Christ looks at you? And my answer is no. Because from what I understand, he, he took away the sins of the world, and he didn't just take some of them. He took all of them. And when Paul says things like, well, where sin is, grace abounds all the more. But if I go on, should I go on sinning because grace does that? Well, God forbid, of course. But this man, Jason is in a marriage, and he has children. He has a family. Breaking that family up could not be of God in order to set something correct. That's not the way weddings work. That's not the way marriages work. So you chalk it up. You chalk up what happened, and you acknowledge it. If you were both believers and you divorced and you remarried, you committed adultery and your wife committed adultery. Yes. Does that mean that defines who you are? No. It can't. 
it can't define who you are. Not in regard, and, and I'm speaking directly to believers today on this. Okay, if you're not a believer, then none of this matters. But if you believe and you care well, that it's much, it's something for them to take to heart, though, and to think of. Well, it is, but it, but but I mean this in regard to if you care that much about what the Bible says in regard to your life and your marriage, then take then take the other things that the Bible says to heart too about everything that Christ actually accomplished for you, and how much you you know he you meant to him, and that his blood covers all. So when, you, when you're done with this life and you take your last breath and you stand before God, what's he going to see? Christ. Exactly. And he's satisfied. So just remember that that satisfaction. Well, it's, it's the same as a, a, a father's love or a mother's love. You know, kids do things. And, you know, there's kids do things and you still love your kids no matter what they do. Even when they do things... On purpose against you, or when they get into drugs and do that, yeah, or heinous acts, things like that. Right? You go, yeah, you, you still love your kids, mm-hmm. and you can see past all of that. Yeah, um, you know, and it's the same thing here. This was, I forgive you. Yeah, but you have my grace now. Repenting, repentance. You know, whether d- despite timing or whatever, if in your heart you read about repentance, there's this verse about forgiveness and part of it says that if he repents then you will forgive them and that's part of it and that's what i want to say to anyone who's who was in the situation that jason's in or or is thinking about going that direction remember take stock in your life think about it work out those things within you and bring it before god and be serious about it and really see if you need to exit that marriage, really think about it. And don't do it from a legalistic fashion. Do it from a relationship fashion that you have with God first, and then take it to your spouse. It's a weird thing to say to somebody, you should be miserable, and your children should suffer yeah. for the rest of your life. That is a very that harsh is a, thing. That is a crazy thing to say to somebody. It I is. mean, especially if you're talking about the extremes of the possibilities in a relationship, which get— so bad. Yes. Like, you know, daytime tell you know, like, mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. And you're going to take the stance that you can't leave this because you're going to hell? Like, buddy, some people are in hell. That's right. You know, yeah. and they got to go. If they if they can find it in themselves to go, they got to go. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. Yeah, it is. And if, if you are looking at it from, well, God hates divorce, that's the Malachi. That's where it says that. God hates divorce. God hates a lot of things, but he, does. He, you know, he forgives. But he's not asking you to give up your marital rights, to give up your food, to give up your clothing, to, to accept being neglected or abandoned. He's not asking that. He did that in the Old Testament. He took care of those women in the Old Testament. He does it even more so in the New through Christ. So, you know, talk to the Lord. If you feel like you're in the wrong, then talk to him about forgiveness Change your behavior if you are doing something and you realize it. Fix it. Work on it. But don't beat yourself to death over it after it. Well, I think if you're a believer and thus you have the Holy Spirit, if your conscience is pricking you about something, then listen to it. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to be hearing? You know, but you have to hone in to the voice of the Holy Spirit or, or you know, to hear that voice if you, if you don't have a relationship with him, you won't hear it. What people have to remember is 
God is not the God of chaos or confusion. Right. He wants to bring clarity. And if you're having trouble with your marriage or you're getting advice like that, go fasting before the Holy Spirit, whatever fasting looks like for you. It could be anything, but go with fasting and prayerful attitude to the Holy Spirit and say, what am I supposed to do here? Because if you go look at the example of, say, Hosea, yeah, who married the whore, who continually cheated on him, mm-hmm. and he still loved her yeah, because God told him to. God told him to he keep did taking not, her back. He did not leave her. He nope. did not abandon her. She was horrible to him. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's called to that, but some people are. And if, you know, who knows? There might be, I don't know. But I just don't think, no, you're not supposed to stay if you're if you're not safe. Yeah. If you're not safe, mm-hmm. you can't stay. Right. It, that's just, we, we wouldn't say, you know, go in, <laughs> into a middle of a riot. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you, you know. God doesn't want you to be unsafe like that. No. You know, and so we wouldn't just plant somebody in the middle of a riot just because that's not safe. It's just right. not safe. So, I mean, if you're not safe, find somebody who is and and, and get out. Mm-hmm. But if your pastor is telling you to go back to that mess, and I know women who have had that said to them. Yeah. Because it wasn't physical abuse. Mm. Yeah, it's just mental. It or was verbal. just emotional and mental or it's verbal. Just, yeah, just. Yeah, just. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, just the most controlling horror stories that you'll ever hear. God wants me to live like that. I don't. That's not the God I want to serve. Sometimes yeah. it's the emotional and the mental abuse that's the worst because your bruises will heal. Yeah. The scars that you like, you know, they'll heal, but those words last forever. Well, with the physical. Hundred percent of the time comes the mental the, and the emotional. emotional. Yeah, the emotional. Yeah. I mean, you Seems have like to, you have to deal yeah. with that. That you know, and, and the toll it takes on the children. I watched my birth mother get punched in the face, glasses broken. Like I still can see that. I can still see her running down the street, like blood just flow. I can see it. I was a time under the age of two. Yeah, and I can see it. It burned in your memory, and it did. It seared my memory, and. Mm. I just, I just don't think God wants us. If we have the, I didn't have any power at that age, you know, and she really didn't either. He had all the power. Yeah, and that's what it's about. It's always about power and control. Any kind of abuse, whether it's spousal or parental or governmental <laughs> abuses, I mean, it's about power and and maintaining and con- keeping the power. If if God would go as far as to say, if you leave that wife, you still have to provide for her food, clothing. You cannot neglect her. Which is where we get, when you go get a divorce, mm-hmm. a lot of times the man does have to supply yep. some sort of alimony or child support or whatever, yep. even if... They're not in the wrong, and, mm-hmm. and I know that goes on quite a bit. But it's built within our own society, as it's far as built within our, our own, yes, built within our society. Well, back to what, that's I, back to us being a Christian nation. Yeah, we go. Well, and I know that 
we there's no way that we could have solved this. And all jokes aside, I wanted to take this a little bit serious, you know, be a little bit more serious about it. I it's not that I don't think God wants you to stay in abuse. I know he does not want you to. There are certain levels of neglect that allow you to break those marriages. If you're in a marriage where the other person is a non-believer and they want to leave, you can let them go and you are allowed to remarry. If they want to stay, it says if you can live in peace with them, you sanctify them, you set them apart. They see you living as a believer they see that the, the Paul saw that as something that was favorable and and good. And as long as you can live in peace, that's good. But I think depending on the circumstances, if you could at all possible can stay, I think you should. Depending on circumstance. I'm not saying stay for being physically or mentally abused, but you know, there was a reason why you guys got married and we just tend to go our different ways and then you separate a little bit and it's you know, it's my wife and I haven't separated or anything like that, but we've just made a conscious effort recently to concentrate on each other and be, you know, okay, let's think about this, let's do this. And it's, gosh, it's made all the difference in the world. And I get family gets in the way and kids get in the way and all this other stuff. I think every now and then it's up to us to take a look at ourselves and our marriage and and say, hey, you know, well, let's, let's remember the oxygen mask drops down and they tell the parent to, to breathe first. Well, it's the same thing in your marriage. you got to look at your marriage first, uh, sometimes before your children. Put that first so that you can be there for your children. Well, I think that's as far as that I'm going to take this one. But I just wanted to uh, thank Jason Cleveland for sending in that letter and uh, some of the other listeners that have sent in letters somewhat similar to this, not quite as... This one is an extreme <laughs> case, but there have been a lot of questions that, you know, have been asked in the past. And uh, so this was the first time we ever really responded to listeners, you know, a listener's request. And so if anybody else hears this and they have other questions or other things, we'll try. We don't, we're not the authority on it, but we try. We really, we really do. So, and we love you. And I know that sounds weird. You, We don't know you. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, we believe that that's what Christ would have us to do because he did for us, you know? So, Big Daddy, thanks for driving all the way up from Columbia to be here, man. Thank you. And Sarita, all the way up from Spottenburg. Yes, sir. Represent. Andy, from your back porch, <laughs> walking across the yard into the giraffe studio. I did it real slow today, though. <laughs> <laughs> A little methodical. Yeah. There wasn't any traffic jams or anything. But, Ralph, uh, sorry that you had to miss that special time with your wife. I hope that I appreciate you being here, but I hope that it's still special when you get home. Oh, it, it absolutely will be. Yep. Very good. And Holly? Thanks for being here, babe. Yeah. It was very fun. We will talk to you guys again next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace out. Later. Hey, guys. This is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.